0: And hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Welcome back, ghouls and goblins. Ghostly greetings to all of you. I know that's super cheesy, right? <laughs> super cheesy. Anyway, do any of you remember Elvira and the movie Macabre? I know I'm so dating myself, but I so love the movie Macabre on Saturday afternoons on channel nine. And Elvira would always show these crazy 1970s and 1960s movies. They were horror movies, but they were so amazing. They were awesome. We loved them. They were so cheesy. And then, When we became teenagers, we ended up going to Not Scary Farm and seeing Elvira do a stage show. And um, the actress, Cassandra Peterson, she's awesome. I remember we waited for her after the stage show and she came out without her um, makeup and stuff. And she was cool and she was greeting us. Um, She's a super cool woman. Anyway, that's a bit of my scary childhood. Well, on today's episode of Nurses and Hypochondriacs, this is going to be a fun one. We're going to be talking about freaks. That's right, literary freak show. And our guest today is Andre Tapalaga, who is a writer. He's a prolific writer. He's written over several stories, and his stories are pretty amazing. He has over 30 million readers from around the world. He's also the founder and publisher of The History of Yesterday. And some of the stories we're going to be talking about today are, are unbelievable, but he's very well researched them. Like, we're going to be talking about a dolphin who was given LSD and fell in love with a woman, and that was a NASA project funded by NASA and everybody's tax paid paying dollars. Uh, we're also going to be talking about a supercomputer. Who has said that humanity is going to end in 1950. So everybody should be enjoying themselves right now. And uh, we're also of course going to be talking about viruses making a comeback. You won't want to miss this episode. And if you do, that's okay. That's up to you. And unpleasant dreams. and welcome to nurses in and hypochondriacs andre tapalaga
1: hello everyone nice to be here very excited to be on this podcast and hopefully i can share some great stories with you
0: oh yes your stuff is super good so you're you're coming in from london okay not not coming in but we're <laughs> connecting you're in london i'm here in los angeles and so In London, do people celebrate Halloween? I mean, what's it like? It's very westernized. I know in Italy, they started to um, go ahead and participate in Halloween festivities, which I didn't like because those are, you know, that's my family. I'm like, hey, Halloween's our holiday, you know, (laughs) but they do celebrate Halloween now.
1: No, we also do celebrate Halloween. It's quite actually a big festival over here. You know, you also see the decorations that you would see in America and kids going trick-or-treating you know dressing up really fancy and sometimes scary and yeah it's really great I actually have some neighbors down the street they they always uh sort of like put skeletons in the front seats of the RC vans and it just scares the whole neighborhood <laughs> in the nighttime.
0: <laughs> that is super cool do you have like a favorite horror movie or scary movie
1: hmm that's a hard question. I actually love horror movies, but I haven't seen a good one in a really long time. But uh, uh, I think if I were to say it would either be uh, the Final Destination series or a Rosa, uh, Rosa Park, or maybe even the, um, what was it called? The Exorcist.
0: The Exorcist, what is that? Oh, The Exorcist.
1: Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> we are getting the accents really wrong here. <laughs> no, it's
0: okay, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, the exorcist just really freaked me out. I'm actually trying to get a priest on to the show who just published a book uh, a few months ago on exorcisms in America, which, um, you know, I'm like crossing my fingers, I'm hoping he comes on. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, that, that's a that's a freaky one. Um, mine has to be, it was from the 1970s. And I remember we, my, there used to be this show called Elvira's Mistress of the Dark, okay? So this, do you know who Elvira is?
1: No, I haven't heard of it.
0: Yeah, I think she's before your time. Um, (laughs) Probably. So they used to have like, I believe it was on Saturday afternoons or something like that on Channel 9. I still remember this, this woman would dress up very macabre. She had this this hair and this very sexy dress and she was very very dark and she would run these old school horror movies so my favorite always was it was called Trilogy of Terror which that's why I always try to do a Halloween trilogy during Halloween season for for this podcast and so in Trilogy of Terror there is one specific and I just watched it the other night it's called Amelia so it's a, a three 30 minute movie shorts. And it's with this one very famous actress who I'm forgetting her name right now. And the one that I love is called Amelia. And (laughs) that one is about this woman. She is very codependent on her mother, but she comes home with this African statue of like this. He used to be like some King or shaman or something like that. And it's this little doll. And so it has this gold chain around it and she's going to give it to her boyfriend that she's uh you know dating because he's like this history professor right which oh my gosh look you're into <laughs> writing history it's, <laughs> it's so <laughs> serendipitous right but um she ends up not she ends up canceling the date because she has to go see her her mother because her mom got mad at her and so the chain drops off of this this little doll thing in the in the doll comes to life and starts attacking her and it's amazing if you've never watched it it's on youtube it's so great it's called trilogy of terror i mean the first two are okay movies but the third one amelia golden you gotta watch
1: i'll definitely check it out it does sound interesting Oh,
0: so good i mean it's creepy it's very 1970s but it's she's a great actress um karen black that's who it is so I um, think uh, a few
1: years ago. I do. I do think that old horror movies have this uh, very specific style that is very attractive, and it's not just like modern horror movies where you just have jump scares left and right. They have, they make you feel the ambience of the horror within the movies themselves. You know, they pull you into the story, and that's why yes. I love them. Rather compared yes. to new movies, you know.
0: Yes. I mean, the weird thing was I was watching that movie on my laptop in my office because I was doing some writing and then I go downstairs and it's dark and it's like like 1130 midnight and I'm like, oh my God. And every sound I'm hearing, I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm so freaked out, but I'm just like, (laughs) I hope some little African doll doesn't come out and start attacking me. It's so wild. But yeah. Definitely a a must see. So tell us about yourself, Andre. I mean, I found you, someone posted your uh, writings um, from Medium on Facebook. And uh, I was very intrigued. Um, I forget which ones you posted because I, I started reading all of your work. And then I was just like hooked in, like you just said, I was just like, my God, this stuff is so good. And that's why I decided to call this literary freak show, because you love writing about these freaky stories, which are so interesting
1: well where do i start right now okay so uh originally i'm from romania but i've moved in the uk in the past 14 years i started writing about four years ago when i was in my second year doing another undergraduate course my bachelor's course and uh I was studying business management originally, and I really needed something to set me aside, you know, forget about all the coursework that I was doing. And history always intrigued me. I always loved history and not just the boring history of, oh, the Cold War, the Roaring Twenties or any other modern specific events that have happened, medieval or whatever, ancient. I was really intrigued in finding you know those unheard of stories those people that no one has ever spoken about that's why I really started researching and that's why I also came to Create my publication, which is called History of Yesterday. We all uh, almost already have uh, over 400 writers that are trying to. I'm trying to make them follow the same style as me. You know, try to research for these golden gems within history and show it to the world. You know, really educate. And what it, my mission was about making history fun, so it would really attract the audience. It would attract everyone. To, you know, get more acknowledged in history and really see the value within history. And I think the most important part is actually learning the valuable lessons from history. But at the same time sort of applying what we have learned in everyday life and that's why i really started looking into what we call uh, the lives of different people as i like to say it you know the live people who have actually been into live freak shows we see them as very different but uh, deep in their hearts i think they're the kindest people and that's because they see life from a different perspective they're faced with so many challenges especially in this judgmental society and I, I just tried to put myself into their shoes and I, it seemed so impossible. And I, I couldn't just bear a second to live in their shoes because I wouldn't even know where to start. Or is there a point living in life, you know, when you are born so different and you're just being judged by everyone? And I'm very sorry from jumping from one point to another. I am terrible at this.
0: No, no, no. You're, do, you're just right on it. Let me tell you, I am so relating to you right now. Because how I started, uh, nurses and hypochondriacs was very much the same way, you know. Because I had all these weird stories, and I always um, didn't feel I fit in with my with the nursing culture here in America, you know. With my colleagues as a nurse practitioner, I felt as as like an outsider, you know. I was always the more creative one, you know. But then being creative, I was. Really shut down as being not professional that's what I got told a lot, and so i I mean uh, being professional is very objective you know it that is. whole narr- yes. that whole word is because is a comedian professional you know is an actor professional, so why do I have different standards now when I'm trying to really do the same thing in essence you know teach educate uh, bring you know cure people. Uh, and stuff, but I once attended a um, art exhibit at the Los Angeles Cal- County Museum of Art, and um, Del Toro, that act uh, the director, um, I forget his first name, but he did this whole thing on freak shows, and his story was so interesting. He. Um, <sighs> his, he did, I mean, he was just like you, he was very drawn in to the um, old circus freak shows where these people were born different and they were put on display, you know, and he felt just so much empathy for them. And that's where I based my storytelling shows. When I started to do the stage productions of nurses and hypochondriacs, it was all about empathy, you know, because here I had several people who nobody wanted to listen to their stories or nobody thought that their stories mattered so this gave them a platform on the stage just to be themselves and embody their stories very much like a freak show you know um and stuff but uh it's all very very fascinating you know so let's go ahead and, and talk about some of your stories. The one that I loved and, and really drew me in was um, the dolphin one, the woman who fell in love with NASA's drug and sex addicted dolphin.
1: That is, yes, I know that. The How did you find
0: self- that? that piece because it's really old it was in the 1960s correct
1: yes that's correct well the the way I try to find some of those more intriguing stories is uh, look on different uh, sort of forums old forums because that's where you really find the interesting stuff but also that's where you find a lot of fake stuff so at the first time when I saw the headline I was like this is fake this is no way this has this is true and then when I started researching this I was surprised the moment I knew this was really true is that there is an actual statement on NASA's web where they say they have actually funded this program, but they had nothing to do with it. So the moment I saw that this is on NASA's website, I knew I had to write about it. It probably took me like two weeks just to think of a headline because there's so many things going on within the story. Oh my
0: God. Yeah. There's so many things going on within it.
1: Just to give a a, a small break free of, of the story. So what's going on here is that NASA has been working with a few scientists within the neuro uh, neurosci- uh, neuro science, neuro neurology scientific world and they were trying what they were trying to do is they're trying to achieve a higher uh, cerebral capacity within the brain our brains uh, only can reach 10 percent of cerebral capacity we cannot use 100 percent of our brain because that would be really amazing i mean our capabilities, as humans are still limited very much the only organism within our planet that can use 20% of cerebral capacity are dolphins. This is why dolphins were used in this experiment. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to see how can they make dolphins to unlock even more, a higher percentage of their cerebral capacity. And in order to do this, they had to stimulate the brain somehow. And the best thing when it comes to stimulating the brain, apparently is LSD.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. So But first, before they stimulated the brain with LSD, they had this dolphin, which they called Peter, live with this woman, okay? And the woman slept on a saltwater bed. She did her work in this, this aquarium thing, right? Where Peter would be able to come and sleep with her, like touch her. And they were supposed to have this constant contact, right?
1: so the way it was made is that for it was planned for 10 weeks where this woman would uh, literally live with peter in a studio that was separated in three parts one of them was an office area where the woman would do would spend most of her time do her work talk on the phone write some stuff down and obviously in each room, Peter had access. The second room was like a playroom where they would both spend time, swim around. They had more water there. And the third one was the bedroom where it was an area with full of water and a small pod elevated as a bed where she could sleep and Peter can also come and snuggle in, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: so weird. It's so weird. Yeah, so I think the scientist that uh, was watching this, he, he, he thought this was taking too long. So then that's when he decided I'm going to yes. go ahead and give this dolphin LSD to speed up this, this process. And he was successful in that because it made the dolphin horny. Right.
1: The idea, uh, the reason why the woman was there was to also stimulate through a psychological pattern of behavior, the dolphins behavior and to show that he has more cerebral capacity. but. Obviously, the, the the dolphin himself showed that he is emotionally clever, and he wanted to be attracted to the woman, and obviously he wanted something else from the woman instead. That is where his natural, uh, I could say, senses came to life
0: Right, because he had a heart on which we can talk about this show. He had a heart on, and then she was stroking his penis,
1: and for that who... you,
0: I just was like, what.
1: And I was the same. And uh, and my most difficult part was, how do I prove this to my audience? How do I write about this? And they were probably all going to call me lies or anything. But I was lucky because I think it was 2017 or the previous year where the woman had an interview about this yes. whole thing. And she admitted it in the interview. It was nothing sexual on her part. It was all sexual for Peter. <laughs> this yeah. is what she said
0: yeah but then I think he got violent correct the dolphin got violent they had they stopped like NASA I think stopped the funding and said we're not gonna fund this anymore
1: so what happened is uh, the story obviously got to the media and once it got to the media it Uh exploded the world got angry uh, pet was there calling it animal abuse and obviously when NASA got in the headlines and they were getting a bad name they had to stop the whole project itself the scientists got a really bad reputation they got revoked by any school and it all went bad and after that Peter was removed from the lady and that's where Peter sadly we don't know exactly what happened some people think he he might have died from a depression some think that Due to the amount of LSD he consumed during the experiment and may have had some problems to his lungs and uh, he stopped breathing one day and just passed away, sadly.
0: So sad. So sad. I know he he died in Florida and they said he died of a broken heart. Oh, super sad. It could be
1: possible. I do believe in death from a broken heart.
0: (laughs) I do believe that, too. I've read many, many stories um, and and, um, yeah, it could be. So I love that one. Let's get into a story that's a little bit more current with the zone of death. And uh, that um, you wrote about that, uh, focused on the whole Gabby Petito murder. Uh, I actually
1: I actually found out at the end of my research that some people actually linked it to Gabby Petito's murder, which I wasn't aware about because... Wow. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know. And some people said it just because she, uh, uh, the last time she was seen, she was near the death zone. She was in Yellowstone Park.
0: Yeah, and I think in that area, there's over 800 women that went missing. I don't have the correct stats or the um, information that goes with it, uh, the research, but there, there's there been a lot of high strange in that area. But why is it hard to, um, go ahead and, uh, commit someone of, cr- uh, of, uh, killing someone there. Why is it so easy to get away with murder in that area?
1: So the problem with the, uh, the death, uh, the zone of death, as they call it, it's, uh, a part of Yellowstone. Well, Yellowstone, let's start off like this. Yellowstone park is part of, um, uh, a small part of it is, uh, found in uh, Idaho and this is where the problem is and let's say if someone were to commit a murder in this small zone I think it's 50 square miles if I'm not wrong uh, what would happen is they obviously would be um, incarcerated by uh, the local law enforcement and then what the actual uh, american constitution says is that any person who has committed any crime must be prosecuted within the local region by a jury from the local region and so, uh, frankly no one lives there that is the problem so wow. it's really difficult to actually have a lawyer uh, prove that someone uh, you know has committed a murder because that would mean breaking the American constitution. And I don't see any jury who would actually do that because they'll probably get fired or something. I actually, when I was writing the article, I spoke with a few lawyers about this and some of them said, it isn't impossible to prove that that person has committed a murder and put them behind bars, but it would be really difficult. And it will be probably a case that would take up to 10 years.
0: Wow.
1: That's yeah it takes insane. it it takes a long time it really and i would never really understand why it takes such a long time to to battle out you know in in a juridical world but i think the problem is you know that there, there, there's so much happening out there and there are so many different laws that they have to go through and you have lawyers from one side to another trying to find the loophole just to win win the battle
0: that's so crazy Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that was an interesting one that I read. I like, I didn't even know. I actually did not follow the Gabby potato case. I I, I didn't understand why they were bringing so much media coverage just to her when there's so many people that go missing, uh, every year. And, um, I was like, why her? And maybe this is why I don't know. Um, but then there's also speculation that it is not a real case that it could be a made up, fake case, but who knows, in order to smoke screen, other things going on in the world, which could very well be because there's been so much and, and a lot of very interesting pictures that look made up to me. And that's my opinion. Um, now, if somebody out there actually knows her and, and has valid proof that this is real, I'm all good with accepting that. But until then... Uh, you know, we'll see. I, I just thought it was a very strange case as compared to many other people who go missing. okay. but excellent, read. Um, let's jump into the miracle medicine that disfigured thousands of children, and that's the the little mind tragedy that um, is is I found very, very interesting because they were giving the little which This didn't happen in the United States, but mostly happened in Europe, uh, where women were taking it uh, because they were nauseous, correct?
1: Yes. And it didn't happen in the United States because the FDA actually stopped it because the uh, the United States was the first country to actually have an organization to check every medical drug that was going out from these pharmaceutical services. Uh, It started in uh, the late 1950s, early 1960s, where a German uh, pharmaceutical company tried to develop a drug that obviously didn't exist until then, that would help pregnant women with uh, every medical problem that they would have, such as nausea, headaches, uh, high fevers, or anything during pregnancy. The problem was that this medicine was only tested on animals, it was never tested on humans. Although it was only tested on animals, they said, oh, it's okay for human consumption. Uh, When the drug was first uh, uh, given out, sold in Germany, it was amazing. You know, it it really did what it said it would do. But the problem is it started saying it will do a lot more things than it's meant to. And that's where the whole medical industry blew up and everyone was buying the patent for this drug. It sold under 42 different brands worldwide. And I think it was 56 different countries at the time, mainly in, in Central Europe. After a year of being sold, and obviously women that were pregnant and took the drug started bringing their babies to life, they saw that a lot of their babies Sally, were born without a limb, or maybe even more limbs, either their feet or without their hands or arms even at some point. Some cases were even more, more um, uh, lethal, I could say, in that way, where the babies were either be born the twins would be stuck together in different manners or yeah it's it's uh it's really hard to describe the sort of malformations these babies would suffer from 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 this terrible drug uh if you want you can have a look at the article i've written i have some uh, i have to warn you some explicit images that's oh, yeah. uh, for the so faint good. of hearts right um uh, and obviously, once this happened, the world actually blew up because they, at first, the doctors didn't understand why this was happening. It took four years to find out that thalidomide, the drug itself, was actually causing this. And even to this day, uh, the medical world doesn't understand what exactly within the drug is causing these medical issues within newborn babies.
0: Yeah, that is too crazy. I mean, I I even wonder if it may have created some genetic issues in the DNA or, or maybe had um, messed up the people's DNA. You know, there is a theory yeah, that your, your DNA does shift and change. Uh, uh, yeah I don't I don't have any people always go where's your peer-reviewed research I don't have that right now so I'm not gonna go into it too much it is just a theory you know um, it can shift because of certain medications you're given who knows we we don't know I, people even study that with the vaccines and everything
1: yeah I do have a different theory that I have linked actual actual medical research to it within the article where they say that the drug itself has a chemical within the drug that stops the process of uh, limbs growing within uh, new toddlers wow. when they when they're in yeah when they're still in the belly of of the pregnant oh women gosh. that's that's, that's the only theory but because there are so many different malformations that have occurred because of this this drug they they can't find an actual source of what is causing this oh wow so it's still a mystery but there is some sort of happy ending to this uh in some um, western countries more more well-developed countries and stronger economical countries they are actually financially supporting uh uh, babies who are now grown-ups who have suffered because of the drug throughout their whole life so yeah
0: i saw that so that is the positive of it it because it's a lifelong disability you know it is yeah like they may not be able to get normal jobs like everybody else but yeah
1: i mean i i myself can't imagine living life without a finger but i can't even describe it without a hand you know it's it's terrible
0: yeah i hear you i used to work at the children's hospital here in los angeles um, and where i worked we saw all the pre-surgery kids or all the patients going in surgery. So I've seen everything. And we used to have special cases that came from other parts of the world. Mm. Uh, Our plastic surgeons would go out to very interesting places and bring the kids that needed the most help. And and, and sometimes we'd see the most disfigured kids. I mean, I'd see... My, my most interesting case, uh, to date. And actually the history channel was following this case. I got cut. I didn't get, I did the <laughs> assessment on the child, but I ended up on the floor. You know, they cut my piece out, uh, <laughs> there, but it, it was really interesting. So this kid, I forget where he came from, I think Nepal and the surgeon had gone to Nepal and, um, and had, uh, brought this kid and his family back. And he had a, uh, twin on top of him like he had another body so the twin Mm. did not split so it was still he was about a year old and so he had this other body on top of him right i see or no it was actually hugging him it was as if the twin was hugging him but the limbs it didn't have a head it had a torso it had these things that looked like legs and arms but the one thing that was very interesting that it did have fully formed was the penis was fully formed. So which the kid flopped and the body flopped. The kid was fine. He was perfectly happy, super cute baby. I remember it flopped, and I was like, whoa, fully formed penis. Well, isn't that interesting, you know? Um and but the buttocks was not formed. Uh, it was just a, like a hump. But the penis was fully formed, which was interesting. But this they had to get rid of this body, this stump, because the baby was now having cardiac problems because it, mm. it, its poor little heart was beating for two bodies. <laughs> so um, and and so he was starting to have all kinds of issues. But yeah, I, I don't. I think the family ended up going back to Nepal after the surgery. Uh, and stuff. but, um, yeah, but I really cases
1: I really understand you because you see, I come from a family that's full of medics, doctors, surgeons. And every time I go back home, especially for christmas, i, I everyone just starts with their story. So what did you pull out of this guy today? What did you pull out of this guy today? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm trying to have dinner here. Could you guys please Yeah, it's probably
0: where you're like the historian, right? I'm
1: the medical only person historian. who hasn't actually gone into medicine within the family, and I wanted to. You know, this is why I a lot of my articles are are part of the medical world because it really attracts me. But the one thing I couldn't do, which I don't understand how my my family do, is if I were to follow the the path of a doctor, a nurse, a surgeon, whatever specialty. I couldn't bear the moment I would see my first patient die. I just couldn't. Uh, yeah. That would be so tragic for me it, it would it would be enough probably for me to go suicide or something. I could not bear that moment. and uh, my uncle, who is a surgeon, he remembers his first uh, person who had died, and it was pretty much the same, but he had this doctor who who was educating him through the process and told him, this is you did what you you could best. This is gonna be the first of many. You can't save them all, and that's something yeah, you have yeah. to understand. But you know they they they're amazing people, and I I I sympathize them for, for what they do, and I I just couldn't do it myself. As much as yeah. I like it, I I I couldn't bear it.
0: It is definitely the toughest part. Um, I have not been in those incidences where I've lost patients, You know, uh, very few, very very few. Um, which has been an interesting case. I I don't know why. I'm always. I always tell myself I'm where I'm supposed to be and I give the care that I'm supposed to give at that time. So it's almost like I'm called, you know, and I just um, go with my heart. So um, but yeah, but medical historian is actually a thing. Did you know that?
1: Uh, I I, I heard (laughs) about this. There's
0: a PhD in London. (laughs) Get a PhD. There's this uh, Lindsay Fitzpatrick, I think, or Fitzharris. I have one of her books. Um, and she wrote, I'm looking at it right now, it's called The Butchering Art. Okay, so she is Fitteris, yes, Lindsay Fitteris. So she is a, a medical historian, and um, in her right I, I mean, she writes books about all kinds of very interesting things. Um, and she has a YouTube channel as well, so you never know. I mean, oh,
1: definitely, definitely <laughs> check it out. But as much as I like medicine, I have to stick with uh, everything else as well. The world is open and it's brilliant and it's full of so many things, especially in history from, I don't know, from engineering to any sort of technology to even these uh, really interesting but weird cases. Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's jump into another one. I like this one, the woman who gave birth in her grave 10 days after her death. So this one was interesting.
1: That is a really interesting one, yes it is. Uh, the, uh, the first time that I, I saw this again, I thought, mm, this seems a bit sketchy, I don't know if this is true. One of the biggest parts within the work that I do is actually do the proper research, make sure that everything is true, have the proper resources that are reliable. And uh, I like it. I absolutely love it when I find uh, a story that also has some academic research behind it. And so did this one. This is where some archaeologists and um, I think it was, I can't remember from the top of my head. I think it was, what year was it? I don't remember exactly what year. I think it's pretty recent. I think it was 2018, if if I'm not mistaken. You're right, yes,
0: 2018, yes. Some archaeologists
1: have found the uh, the remains of a woman who after the carbon footprint analysis it turned out to be from uh, within the 16th century i think it was and it was really surprising because right next to her remains there were some little bones representing a toddler So uh, what we believe, what uh, the research team believes is that she actually gave birth after she had been buried alive, Right, which is something possible based on medical research. It's uh, it's called actually, there is a term where it's called coffin birth or post-mortem fetal extrusion. This is where after the body dies, uh, the gases remaining within the body build up within the stomach and the stomach has to release all that gases out. But because the fetus were there, it couldn't do that. So the gases actually managed to push the fetus out once it was ready to be born. Now, obviously, we don't know if the fetus was already dead when he was given birth or if he wasn't. But presumably, if he was, he would have died from the pressure caused by the earth. The alignment of the bones and how the bones are the place within the grave shows that most probably the the fetus was actually dead before being given birth.
0: Right, right, and then she it and the fetus just kind of spontaneously came out.
1: That right? sounds <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> With my head, yeah, it's very very interesting. But you also consulted a, an OB, an obstetrics doctor. Here in San Francisco, um, I, I read like a quote, maybe you found a quote uh, somewhere on how she kind of said this, this is how it happens, but it's exactly how you said it. So um, yeah, very interesting. Okay, how about the US government injected citizens with plutonium without them even knowing it? And that was at the Manhattan Project, right?
1: this is yes this gotta is love really. our,
0: our government and all these <laughs> great tests that they do on people and dolphins and it's just amazing
1: i mean uh there is yeah. another just uh, to make a, a small break here there is another article that i've written quite a while ago i think it's over a year where uh, i think it was in 1940 or the 1950s where some u.s prisoners i can't remember the state that this happened in uh, they were given milkshakes with hepatitis, so they what? can see what. Yes, I I will send you the link after this if you if you want. to have a read of that. So it's really interesting. Oh yeah. But getting getting back to the the plutonium, people being injected with plutonium. So what happened is obviously um, we are at the end of World War Two, and um, with the help of Albert Einstein, we were tra- finally discovered how fusion works, and we were able to create atomic bombs we had the plutonium, we had all the knowledge that we needed to, but we didn't necessarily know what would happen with the workers and the scientists working on the Manhattan Project. What would happen if they're being exposed too long to plutonium or other nuclear materials? So what's the best way to find out? Inject some people and see what happens. <laughs> as 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 bad as it may sound, but that's that's the US government for you, at least that right. was the US government for you at the time.
0: I don't think it's changed very much. <laughs>
1: I, I am My
0: opinion. To,
1: I, I am not I don't live in the US. I'm not a US citizen, so I'm not entitled to to speak about US right. politics. I, I pay taxes,
0: so yes, I'm going to speak about it. <laughs> so there. If you, if you
1: want me to speak about the British polit uh, politicians and uh, the politics, our the world United is system. just in
0: crazy turmoil,
1: you know. It's yeah, crazy
0: it's, all over the world, and we can all I, I think agree at that. But go on. <laughs> go on with the story
1: so um what they started is doing a trial where they would uh, take different patients um i think it was 18 people that had been selected uh to be injected with plutonium one very interesting case was a man who actually went for a checkup at uh, um, a local hospital that was near the site where the manhattan project was happening at the time and uh At the beginning, the doctors over there who checked them, who were also scientists, part of the Manhattan Project, part of this project of injecting plutonium, told him he has cancer and uh, that they found some sort of uh, new cure that might help him, which was plutonium. But obviously, he wasn't told that is plutonium. He just saw this was a cure. But this might help you. So they injected one, of, which was one of the highest doses of plutonium someone had been injected with. And according to scientists nowadays, they said that it was enough to kill a horse, but let alone a man Whoa. itself finding out later on when he went for some checkups after two months when uh, after being uh, injected with plutonium they found out that actually he didn't have cancer any uh, at all you know and he was perfectly fine what what surprised them even more is that there weren't any significant you know changes in his body after being uh, injected with so much plutonium and what they learned from that is uh, based on different organisms, some people are more resilient to it than others. But inevitably, as the rest of the people, he also passed away. Some people say it wasn't from the plutonium, but I think it was definitely from the plutonium. I think it was
0: definitely from the plutonium. And um, it brings to a point that's very interesting that I've said for many, many years, where I think that vaccines need to be person-specific or at least somehow DNA-specific. I really think something is happening to people you know um but nobody wants to um realize that theory that i have i mean i've told that to several people and they start screaming at me so you know um, i'm just like as a scientist i learned in third grade when i started doing science projects and i won third place okay (laughs) I learned that you can hypothesize and create theories and that's how you prove things. And that's just a theory that I've had and nobody will go ahead and look into it. Do you know why? Because it doesn't make money. So if it made money, if there, there was some way I can make a profit off of it, then probably someone would study it. But other than that, it's probably never going to be studied. And I'm sure many other, very prominent scientists have thought the same thing as I have and have been shoved down so
1: do you know just as ev- just as politics or everything else the science yeah. world the medical world is very bureaucratic they'll they will choose to believe whatever they want to believe and I'll give you a very specific example another article that I've written a long while was about a very very interesting uh, scientific case that's even to this day although it has been done by a uh, you know, a man of science who had many years of schooling. He was certified in everything. So what he was trying to do, it, this was in the 19th century. I think it was 1840s or something like that. He was trying to find out if our, our souls, if souls within our bodies actually exist. Because based on the physics, if something yeah. exists, it can be measured, right? right? So what he'd done is that... He took patients who were in, uh, who had terminal illnesses, who were almost uh, about to die. He would take the beds within hospitals and he would put scales uh, beneath the beds. So what he would do is he would always measure every five minutes. He would measure the weight, uh, taking away the weight of the bed, the weight of the patient. And after he passed away, he would weigh the patient again. And he found out that the weight of a soul is approximately 21 grams.
0: I love that. Oh my God! But
1: the scientific world disapproved of the theory, even though it worked. He said that the the project itself, the 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 you know putting the theory to practice, it was flawed. His test wasn't right. Wasn't this? Wasn't that? But, but it was a very basic me, test.
0: All he's doing is weighing people. It was. It was very a basic busy.
1: test, but we need to understand that that was the nineteenth century. It, it was you know a primitive time for science world. It was a primitive time for modern medicine what could you expect but this just goes to show you know if people can't believe it you know it's something oh you know souls is just something we talk about in religion we don't really talk talk about it in scientific terms or in medical terms people disapprove of it well they shouldn't if we if we provide justification prove we should believe in it obviously th- there could be more done to prove that and <laughs> Well, like it's East because said.
0: of people's belief systems, and it, and yes. you just said it. And if their belief system won't go there, won't allow them to be open and accept other theories, as that they're not going to go there. They're like it's false. Like here in the states, I don't know if they have Morgellons Mar- in London, but there are people who suffer Morgellons, and there is a group of nurses uh, with PhDs. They have their doctorate in nursing practice who many doctors discounted these poor patients, you know, and they were the ones who really pushed and figured out that what the cause was and the cause was it's um, it, it's a form of Lyme disease. That's uh, that they're these specific patients are producing a form of keratin that's coming up in their skin. Okay. Mm. And so they figured this out. Like they went and got these scientists and they worked together and they figured out that this could be a cause. It's very easy to be treated with antibiotics. And they made, there's a movie on um, Amazon Prime about it, which is really great. Um, It's called Skin Deep. I hope to have the director on my show uh, one day or some of the nurse practitioners as well, discussing their whole process. Because many people, because I went ahead and posted the video clip about that. And so there were nurse practitioners. I, I put them on a I put it on a Facebook site. So there were several nurse practitioners that immediately said, Margellins is a fake disease. It doesn't exist. Even though I was like, You didn't even watch the movie. You know,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you see? There's proven evidence. These people went through this whole process. It's it's so good, you know. Uh, it, but still, because her belief system won't go there. And, and many of the doctors, one of the guys in the movie, his, his brother was a doctor, one of the patients and his brother said, you are crazy to his, his, I think, I believe it was a twin brother. It was super sad, you know? And, and at the end, once they got proof and once his brother got healed, he reneged that. He said, I'm very sorry to not have believed my brother that there was a cure, but everybody has always said Margellins is not a real illness. It's You know, it's fake. Yeah. You know, when when there was people were saying, Well, what are these fibers in my skin? You know, coming out. (laughs) Explain that. But do you see how they'll shove down? And that's a great example. So I just want to wrap it up with the the end-of-the-world topics that you talk about. Um, which you have many. You have meteor showers, you have an IBM computer. Talk about the IBM computer one. I haven't really read through that one I just saw it now
1: um so uh IBM I... computer is actually really interesting and it's perfect with the topic that we were discussing where people yes. would disapprove scientific theories and scientific hypotheses. there have actually been three big whole books written about this and people still do not approve of it there's been years of research and research so the way that the what has happened here is some students uh, who were becoming uh, young researchers at IBM during the 19, uh, 1970s, uh, I think it was it started in 1973. Uh, they decided to do a program called World System 3. So what the program would do it analyze how our world will develop from a financial, economical perspective, from a medical perspective, from all sorts of perspectives. and once the the program was given a certain algorithm it was inputted the population of the world how much uh, carbon dioxide we were producing how much fossil fuels we were consuming all, all sort of, of different statistics the computer showed that the world will end by 2050 by the way everyone is living by the way people are, are treating the world by the way by our own lifestyle And people were really outraged because obviously this was a time where computers were just a new thing. Technology, people didn't really trust this sort of technology at the time, you know, so they were really outraged. Oh, a computer can't say, you know, what's going to happen with the world in 50 years. Well, it sort of got it right because I've looked at some patterns, I've done some research. And uh, within the graphs that uh, the program produced, it was showing exactly how the population will go up as the world goes on and how the resources will plummet and I'm talking about vital resources that we need especially one important resource that um, would cause this sort of end of the world scenario where we would have a big apocalypse and it would just be civil civil wars everywhere would be the food per capita yeah food will go really scarce and obviously that is the main resource we need and we see food as you know Something as a base, uh, something as a basic need, but in all honesty, food itself is a luxury and it is a luxury yes. in so many uh, developing that. countries, you know, but we take food for granted. We take we food do. for granted very much. So um, even with all the research that has been done, even with all the books that have been written, which to me, I have read one book. I, have, I haven't I have had the time to read all three of them. I just read the one that had the highest ratings and it shows <laughs> black and white exactly how the world has evolved since 1973 until now and how most probably the world will carry on and I don't think it's going to be exactly 2050 that's you know the world is going to really start going upside down and we are really going to fight for resources but it is definitely going to be within this century I believe.
0: Yeah it's pretty crazy it's almost like this computer There was an artificial intelligence created in this. Yeah, you could
1: say it was the first, you know, the first uh, sort of artificial intelligence created out there. The sort of first algorithm that was was actually going to say, try to predict the world. And I think that's where people got really angry because it was trying to predict the future.
0: Right. Right. But as we see now, I I think it's really interesting because there's been those theories about COVID and population control, for example, with Bill Gates, who was trying, I mean, and he's known to be a eugenicist. I mean, um, and and, and, uh, he's he's said it. I've watched uh, videos of him and his wife going to Africa and trying to get people to stop overpopulating and and stop having 10 children uh there they they thought that oh yes you should have two or three children maybe there's a method to their madness i mean i i don't know i think it's kind of interesting that it was a computer and then bill gates is in computers you know kind of (laughs) an interesting pattern but who knows you know um but do you think that if if they cut down on the population, that they would save the world. Is that what's going on? I, I don't, don't know. know. You don't I think so? I wouldn't think so.
1: No. No. Because it's 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 about the way we live. It's not about how many people are there. If we all learn, if, even if the population went 10 times bigger, we have the space on Earth. But if we learn to uh, to live in a prosperous way that wouldn't damage the world, but we'll actually be a lot more helping to the world. The world will give a lot more to us. And um, um, when I say that, I mean, food resources, you know.
0: Yeah, I believe that. I, I totally believe that. So super awesome. Anything you want to add? I mean, tell us about where to find all your incredible writing, which is so fascinating. I love it.
1: So... Uh... I think I will give you a link so you can post to people somewhere if they are interested to find out my uh, about my writings. I write for History of Yesterday, which is my own publication. I also have about 400 other writers who sort of write the same stuff that I do. So you will find a lot of interesting articles over there. One more thing that I wanted to say, and I saved this special for tonight. I've actually I've written this article last week. I've been working on it, but I have published it today. Actually, published an hour ago when we started the podcast. It's about um, so the title of the article uh, for those that may be interested or captivated: a virus considered eradicated in 2019 just uh, just oh, made I a comeback. I saw that.
0: Yes, I was
1: like, yes. "Oh, it's, I didn't uh, see this before." So. It, it's about yes. This has just been recently published. It's about polio, yes. uh, as, as some of you may know. In 2019, polio was considered globally eradicated it didn't exist and all of a sudden there are a few cases within ukraine that have taken place just last week oh wow yes really? so within the oh, article yeah. i talk about some of the important mi- milestones within uh, you know the history of polio and how humanity has tried to combat that especially the scientific and medical world And uh, I also talk about uh, a theory that looks uh, within the history of polio and some uh, uh, archaeologists that have looked into the Egyptian, ancient Egyptian scripture have seen some scriptures that may actually say that polio was here about even 5000 years ago. So it may just be the oldest virus that humanity has been dealing with.
0: Again, I think these viruses, and and again, it's just a theory because I'm a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hypothesizing. I think they lay dormant, you know? I mean, Lyme disease disease lays dormant in your microbiome. And there's lots of research to support that. And I've even researched it myself. Um, It it lies dormant and then it flares up and then it goes dormant again. Okay. And that is a bacteria that the Lyme... um, the the line that the the tick you know it comes off of the tick and stuff but I I believe that a lot of these viruses do lay dormant in people's DNA or in people's um, genetic structures and then kind of mutate and come alive I mean who knows you know is it the vaccines turning them on you know so it could be I don't know I don't know kind of just, interesting uh, just like at. you
1: mentioned just like we mentioned before you know every organism is very different and I think when you, in, uh, you when you inject someone with something that you're just generalizing it's going to work for everyone yeah it's definitely going to get, create some mutations along the way
0: yeah I'm watching this really interesting uh movie on Hulu it's called dope sick which I hope to do a, an episode on it um and it's about the uh, oxycodone um, yeah. epidemic that went on in America here. And what they did was because um, there, there were patients were having breakthrough pain when they were giving them one dose. So they started putting out there, well, we need to individualize the dose. So pharma uh, and that Purdue company really pushed this. It needs to be individualized. It needs to be individual. Everybody's pain is different. Well, that's interesting because that was their marketing strategy, but I, I do believe that it is true, you know, that every person is different, um, and every genetic makeup is very different. So, um, it needs to be individual. Care needs to be individualized. Yeah, so, not everybody is the same. So, cool. Thank you so much, Andre, and I hope to have you on again. You know, I will link your um, writings uh, in, in your websites. To the show notes for anybody who would like to read them. And I do encourage you guys to read them. I'm also going to uh, put the one on polio that you just wrote on my newsletter that I'm going to be sending out. So that should be a very interesting one to read. So thank you so much, Andre, for being on the show. And thank you very much
1: for having me. I had yes. loads of fun.
0: Super fun. Super fun. Till next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to our Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. We love your support and we love our listeners. If you have some spare change, go ahead and throw some to us on our Venmo at Nurses and HypoCon. Also, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. And if you'd like to be a guest, go ahead and send us an email at nurses and at gmail.com.